0: Hi, my name's Ryan. I've been a supporter of Paul's for many years now. I wish to get the podcast and video creation part of the system we call Paul back up to full speed. And I think Patreon support is a big part of that system. Go over to patreon.com slash Paul Wheaton. Make a pledge for each artifact that Paul creates. Again, the site is patreon.com slash Paul Wheaton. You can also find the link in the podcast notes. Enjoy the podcast. This is part two of a two-part podcast. So I want to point out that our daily schedule is that uh, we have a one hour for every day for 13 days. So Saturday is off. um, And so for the remaining 13 days, um, uh, we have one hour of review, Q&A, go over to the schedule for the day. And then we have four sessions that are an hour and a half long each. Yep. And then there's an optional evening session. And there's also an evening buffer. So um, the buffer will probably be used for um, uh, uh, design work most of the time, but sometimes the last session of the day will be extended an hour. But if you leave out the buffer and you leave out the evening presentation – and you just at you're just looking at the uh, the one hour review in the morning, and then the four sessions that over 13 days. That's 91 hours. So that was that's that's part of it. We've gone from 72 hours to 91 hours. So that's that's part of it. Um, of course, you know it's, it's a lot more if you add in the buffer and the evening presentations. Um, so, but the the key is is that we've got a couple of things that we've shifted and it's still the official PDC, I think it is going to be a little bit more concentrated. I like to think that the people that are coming are going to have more background, a richer background, rather than starting, because like almost every PDC I've ever been to, it assumes that people know nothing about permaculture, that they can barely spell it, and so it's taught to the lowest common denominator. I'm hoping that this will be a little bit a step or two up from that. Like, we can assume that everybody coming is a good, strong level three person and that we're going to talk about, you know, level four through eight um, stuff. So it's going to be intense. And so that's, that's how we're going to pull that up. But at the same time, we're pulling off another thing too, and it's going to have a strong homestead focus. But that's easy to do because almost all PDCs give equal time to uh, urban stuff and homestead stuff and broadacre stuff, and all we're going to do is turn the volume knob down on urban and broadacre. They'll still be covered, just not equally
1: and not not nearly as much as the homestead focus. Hmm. So, well, I think I, I think the big thing there is that um, it's it's more that. I don't think we're turning down the volume on those things, but what I think we're doing is we're turning the volume up on the design, because a good designer, um, yes, they might they might have urban as one of the main colors in their in their palette of design. They might have broadacre, or they might have, you know, homesteading stuff. But the thing is, if you get through the design process; they should be able to design for for anything. So, um, you know that's the trouble. If you're teaching if you're teaching um, permaculture design as a recipe, and oh, this is a recipe you use for urban, then it's really restricting because everyone's got different you know, different colours on the palette. So um, what we're doing is saying this is the design process and it, it's up to you to add those colours to your palette that you want to design in. And then it's only just you just got to go get the information. And that's where permaculture design and the permaculture process is so good is that it's quite, um, what would you say, it's quite promiscuous in how it acquires its information. And that is that if a good idea comes along and it checks out, then you incorporate it into your body of knowledge and you use it in permaculture design. Too many people still are confused that, Permaculture is an organic garden Or permaculture is a food yeah. forest It's all about the context I mean it's nothing without the design um, And I, I think a lot of very successful um, places That uh, are using permaculture But are, are making a, a, a good dollar out of production Are the sort of places that they would do that anyway Because the people are already internalised that design process, and you know they're learning as they go. They're observing, and they would be successful anyway because they they have an innate understanding of the design process. So the the uh, the volume on the uh, homesteading stuff comes from the fact of of the site where we are and of course I'm going to use when we're teaching I'm going to use some of the examples of what we're of where we are I mean it's the easiest thing to teach from so I mean if students are uh, helping the cook cook on a rocket stove then damn sure that they're going to understand you know how that's applicable to their lives or or if they're homesteading or thinking of it you know that they've got a real world understanding that it's not Like, oh, yes, and we'll do this and we'll have wonderful dinner parties and stand around drinking Chardonnay. (laughs) It's a case of, you know what? To cook a roast takes a fair bit of wood and you've got to be back every, depending on the wood, even even that, even the, the distinction that depending on the wood. So they learn that, oh, no, you don't put wood in and come back every 30 minutes. It's like, well, is it a hard wood? Is it a soft wood? You know, they're getting those very subtle things in the learning because they're doing. So, um, no, I'm, I'm quite happy to say that the volume will be up on the, um, the homesteading stuff because it's, it's there, but the volume will be turned up to 11 to borrow an old phrase on the design process. Now, here's a big change. You, you mentioned,
0: you know, people cooking food. Um, and, and this is going to be an enormous change between the last two years and this year. Um, and so the last two years, we, we we it was a free pdc and then a very low cost pdc but in order to pull it off it's like okay everybody you're on your own for food and so um uh, you know the, the students got together i mean it, the, the feedback was they really liked having that option because it brought them together in a different way and they got to build experiences with um, all of these alternative cooking kinds of things. Um, but then the decision was made that this year we're going to provide the food. And so it's, it's part of it. There'll be three meals a day, but people will be required to spend uh, like, like help out with two or three meals. Um, and and things like that. So they're going to still get those experiences in, but um, uh, it won't be as intensive as like, well, if you don't cook something, you don't eat. <laughs> you know, yeah. thing. So, um, but, but you were very insistent. We're going to squeeze a lot into this PDC, and people just won't have time to cook their own food. And so we've got to provide the meals because it's going to be such a crush.
1: Yeah so I I don't want to dis, discourage people but it there's a lot to do and so um meal times uh, can be you know they they drain a lot of time and also what we we saw last year was that yeah people people did get in together and cook meals or whatever but still we had um we had one or two uh Standout den mothers, shall we say, that took our others under their wings and and kind of got them organised. And that was that was a great learning experience too. But it then becomes an extra burden on those people. And I, I, I it's my firm belief that you want everyone freed up as much as possible to maximise the value that they're getting out of the information that they're getting into their heads at the course. That doesn't mean that you get off scot-free because it has to be acknowledged that um, a lot of the lessons in the PDC aren't in the student notes. They're not in the books. They're not in the classroom. They're actually... Um, out there interacting with other people in the discussions. So that's kind of one of those things that's, that's not often acknowledged, but it's absolutely true that we have to remember that there's a huge, people will come with a huge range and a huge amount of life experiences. And um, you know, we want to draw those out and, and, and have them Share those things with us because, you yeah, you get some person turns up and they don't say boo and then suddenly you find out they're, they're an absolute expert on this or that or, and it, it's, it's quite amazing the amount of, in, in any given teaching room, it's quite amazing the amount of information that's out there. But that won't save them from mucking in and actually helping out of the kitchen when it comes up on their roster. What we're going to try and do this time round is that there'll be a roster and we'll try and do as much prep for the cook uh, before meals um, early in the morning. And maybe it might mean that during your uh, break between classes, you might have to duck off and chop some vegetables or something like that and then come back to class. Nothing will interfere with class time, but it's just it's your contribution to the community that you're joining for those fourteen days. Yeah. I mean the price tag that we're
0: putting on this is still incredibly low. And and so I mean I've, 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 a lot of PDCs are two thousand dollars. <throat> And so um, uh, depending on when people sign up, they can get a, a massive discount. But even our highest price for the, the last people that signed up is, is still under 1500 bucks. Um, yeah. and, and then we're also giving a huge discount of people buy a ticket for the PDC and the ATC. Um, yes. But before I forget, one of the other big things that you were saying when, when we agreed to do this is that you wanted people to know that this pdc is going to contain a lot of stuff that is blended in with holistic management
1: absolutely so there's there's a have um, written a fair bit about it but there's uh, there tends to be two camps and like the holistic management people and the permaculture people and they kind of talk at each other or past each other um And a lot of what they talk about is um, based on a misunderstanding of what one or the other thing is. I mean, as a a permaculturist, I'm sure that you've tried a thousand times, you've gone through the experience a thousand times of trying to explain to somebody what permaculture is, and they kind of look at you funny and go, but that's just common sense. And you're like, yes, yes, of course it is, but... You know, it's uncommon common sense. So, so it's um, these two communities have kind of uh, developed alongside each other, but they both have things that, that add to each other. And so um, the thing with holistic management is, and I mean, most people hear holistic management, or, or I actually prefer to say managing holistically, is that they immediately think, oh, rotational grazing. And certainly that is um, that is part of the training that you do, but. It's simply because of the focus of the, basically the, the creator of the concept, Alan Savory. That's where he focused because he, he could see it in his own home, in his own home country. And, um, a lot of his, shall we say, revelations about what was going on with the rangelands in Africa and such, um, they informed some of these revelations, he saw these, and he developed his techniques um, around those rangelands and the questions that he asked. But fundamentally, I- I'm not teaching rotational grazing or anything like that. The big takeaway from holistic management is that it recognises that. As humans, before we do anything, we have to make we make a decision, and, and then we we do those things. I mean, a lot of people would say, "Hell!" A lot of people don't even make decisions; they just do stuff. Um, but we make decisions all the time, and it's amazing how often the decisions we make are invariably end up being um, giving us the exact opposite result of of what we want. I mean, a great one for that is government. They always seem to make a decision that gives us exactly the opposite of of what they were trying to achieve. So what holistic management does is it recognises that, you know, we are being humans, we have, we have fundamental biases and flaws and limitations in, in how we think. And what it does is it, is it asks us or it challenges us to... Um, a little bit more logical, and I don't mean when I say logical, people go, oh, you know, you know, quite Spock like or robot like. I mean, and I'm here to say that um, you absolutely don't have to worry about being too robotic in decision making. So, I mean, human beings are such a hot mess of biases and whatever that no amount of training is going to take out that random element, <laughs> and that's a good thing because those those things make us what we are. But you know the um, the thing with the holistic management is that there's a, a a decision-making process that we can then take and use it to weigh up. Not a single bottom line is which is the result that you're looking for. It might be, you know, I want to make money. It uh, the holistic decision making process acknowledges that there is economic, social, um, economic, social, and the uh, the ecological aspect of of every decision that we make, and that there are impacts, and so it weighs all of those up simultaneously, so that you can make the best decision. Now that's directly opposed from how we normally make decisions and that is it's like, yeah, will this make us lots of money? Absolutely. And doesn't recognise that if in doing so we degrade our environment or we degrade our, our you know, our, our social environment then it's actually costing us more because money is not the only measure of of wealth or or success. So it, it does that simply by making us think more deeply about our uh, how we make decisions, and it also it also drills down into so what what motivates us, what gets us out of bed, and um, it looks at those things and it gets us to kind of express those in what we call a holistic context. It used to be a goal, but basically we set ourselves a context and that's the umbrella that we want to operate under. And every decision we make is rated against and applied to our context and says – Well, is this decision making taking us towards our context or away? Because so often we're just bogged down and like, oh, I couldn't be bothered changing this or that. And you just trundle along making no decisions. You want to be closer to uh, your context or, you know, your goals in life, but it never seems to happen. So the holistic decision making process kind of uh gets you revved up gets you excited about the prospect of of what you can actually achieve if you make good decisions so it's so a design it's a design science it's
0: it's design combined with planning process Decision-making process. Yep. Yep. And so it's, it's and and then uh, this is what, probably a great time to talk about because the word holistic appears in it, but it's it's kind of like if you've met Alan Savory, you've read the book. It's it's not a purple thing at all. This is this is very heavy, very deep in science. This is uh, uh, very practical. This is this is the kind. This is the angle. The holistic management. Book is an angle that ranchers all over the country are embracing. And, and so then this is a very, uh, structured, very methodical process. Um, and, and you might be thinking that it's got something purple to it, but it doesn't. In fact, now that we, I've brought up purple, now's a good time <clears> to <throat> talk about, Hey Tim, just how purple is this PDC
1: going to be? Look, if if people want to go out for a, um, a morning session of yoga somewhere, then that's fine by me. But it's not something that that's incorporated into the uh, the, the classroom time. Um, I'm not a sit around in circle, hold hands, kumbaya kind of guy. It's more a case of um, people. You know, this doesn't restrict people. Um, in in being who they are. They can be who they are and they can do whatever they want as long as it's within the rules of the group. It's just that I'm here to instill a lot of information in a short time. And the, as you call it, purple, and I haven't, I've heard you talk about purple a lot. I haven't actually read anything that you've written about purple. But, um... You know, some people might say it's the more spiritual side of things. Um, I certainly, you know, I don't need to say whether or not I'm a, a spiritual sort of person, or whether I like long walks in the rain and cry at sad movies. <laughs> but I, I'm a practical person, and I acknowledge that, that that exists. That exists in all of us, but it's a case of. It's it's not incorporated into the curriculum of this PDC because it's, for me, again, it's about the design process. Certainly, these sorts of things are things that will possibly come up when we discuss um, eco-villages and communities towards the end of, of the course because we do a little bit about that and the reasons why they fail or why they succeed and are there any formulas to... Um, To make these things work, because certainly I think a lot of a lot of this stuff is an attempt, and I mean I'm winging it here, and I'll probably be shot down in flames at a later date. But a lot (laughs) of this a lot of this stuff is about um, forming community, how to how to build relationships with people, and I think you know it's like the early settlers did they did they have a meeting and sit around in, in a circle and hold hands? Probably somewhere they did, but very often the model was that geez, this is really rich farm soil here i 'm going to set up a farm and then there might be three families end up setting farms uh, uh, setting up farms in the area and then they might need carts to come in and take their grain out. So suddenly there's a road and then, you know, you need a blacksmith and these things develop organically. Um, you know, and we live in cities where we can live next door to a person that we absolutely detest, but we get on with them because, um, there are, there's kind of rules, unwritten social rules. So I think a lot of the attempts of, um, a lot of the, the, uh community stuff is about trying to force those functions rather than let them develop organically and i mean on i think a lot of it too is the problem is that who we we act who we are and how people perceive us are actually two different things. And a lot of the time people um, that I see in, in circles and that sort of stuff, and don't get me wrong, I've done quite a lot of time sitting around in circles saying kumbaya but not particularly wanting to be there, is that people are very happy to tell people what sort of people they are and my response to that always is, I'm, I'm not interested in words, I'm interested in action. So if I see a person and, and they are they're acting as they say they are, then cool. But a lot of the time I see, um people, not, not through any attempted at deception or whatever, just that, you know, their, their view of themselves, and this is coming back to this decision making process, their view of themselves is not particularly accurate uh in some ways i mean we all think that we're the 20% that do 80% of the work uh, um and i've heard a lot of people and a lot of jokes around that um sort of saying that you know but uh, but often 80 the the 80% of people that sit around and do nothing think they're the 20% that do all the work so um yeah there's people can do whatever they want but we're not we're not um it's not that we're not mm, um, making a space where people can do that if they want is just simply that it's not something that I, I feel that needs to be attended to in the course. We'll be making relation, we'll be making real world relationships with people, and people will know what we're like and who we are. Easily by the end of two weeks. There's no hiding it from other people.
0: I've been to a lot of PDCs where there was a lot of holding hands and singing songs, and um, I've also been to PDCs where there where there was not. And uh, so I just i i I, um, I have to say that I enjoyed some of the purple events that I've been to to an extent, and, and there's also been ones where it was so much it's like. I I need to step back from this. This is just this is too
1: much for me. It's forced it's forced function.
0: Yeah, yeah, it kind of feels a little saccharine. Um and so I don't think I would be able to put on an event with Purple. I don't even know how I would do it. And so I guess in that respect I'm quite the clod. Um so, ah, so yeah, this this event will and I don't, we haven't had a purple PDC here yet. The last two were not purple at all. Um, and, and so then this one, there's no plans for it to be purple. But I do imagine that it's possible that someday there will be some, um, purple events happening here with people that are, that are purpler. And they're, they're into that. That's their thing. And, and I don't object to that. I, I got nothing against that. I, and, uh, I, I could even see myself being somewhat involved in some things, but, I can't lead anything in that, in that way. I'm just not wired that way. So this event, this PDC will not be purple. I don't think anybody's going in the past PDCs. I don't recall anybody setting up like yoga time because sometimes it's like, oh, if you come at 6 a.m., we're going to do yoga. I've, I've been to a lot of PDCs where they offered that. I, I don't think anybody's going to try to set that up. I, 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 no one has in the past here. Um,
1: maybe, maybe you're throwing a challenge out there now.
0: <laughs> uh, no, no, I'm not. <laughs> 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 All right, moving along. Um, there's this. This is going to be taught by you and I. I'm going to be playing a much larger role in this PDC. That I have in either of the previous PDCs. This will be, I'll be playing a much larger role than in any PDC I've ever been a teacher at. Um, and I think that the ratio of my teaching to your teaching will probably be like, you'll teach twice as much as I will, but I'll still be playing a very large role. Um, and, and so there's going to, for, so for people that l- listen to the podcast and actually enjoy it, I would say that This will be the most Paul-intensive PDC that there has ever been. Um, The one in 2012, I attended all of that, um, but I taught very little of it, and um, and yet, you know, forty forty of the forty-five students were Pod people. And so, um, but this one, this PDC is going to have a lot of meaning. I'm going to be, we're already talking about what am I going to be teaching, which segments and which, which days am I down there the full day versus part of a day, but I'm going to be down there every day as, as part of the PDC. Um, and then along those lines, uh, I got to say, you, you brought up some stuff about, um, design. Uh, you weren't specifically saying patterns, but it's going to be like some of the, uh, techniques and things that get worked in and, and a lot of people make a design that contains like at least one of everything and and I agree with you and in fact um, from my software engineering days there's a thing called a design pattern and so many people would try to design software. So that it would include at least one of every of the patterns of the 23 patterns that were listed in this one pattern book. And it's kind of, and and the philosophy that I always stuck to was the function of those things existing, those patterns was to increase our vocabulary and nothing more. And when you write a poem, you don't have to include every word in the dictionary. You just just do the simplest thing that could possibly work. What are the things that you need to have, and then how do you best get from point A to point B? And so I take a kind of a minimalist approach to a lot of these uh, techniques and patterns in that it's like don't add it just for the sake of like, oh, I want to – a thing
1: because i like the word or something like that i think the word to describe it is elegance so an elegant design is one that achieves a lot um with the, the minimal amount of of work and and intervention and like you say bells and whistles so something that something that's easy to do but performs admirably is is far better than something that's highly complex um to achieve the same result so i'm a, a big fan of elegant design and most people can recognize elegant design when they see something or hold something that's been well designed in their hands there's kind of an innate Feeling about it, um, because honestly, uh, something that's very complex to to run and maintain kind of goes against all the things we're trying to teach with permaculture de- design. The
0: the next thing is is that in this podcast and in the World Domination Gardening DVDs um, and uh, <laughs> in in a lot of different places, my presentations and writing and stuff like that. Then I've made it really clear that I prefer a list of things that I want over a map and, and to go, but this design course is going to be dominantly map intensive. And, and the the problem I have with maps and people doing designs and maps is they get married to them. And it's like, well, we can't, we can't add the thing you're talking about because it's not on the map. And, Hmm. and it's like, uh, they get so incredibly married to the map that now they they can't allow for anything to be different than what is on the map. And I, I want to emphasize that I think I think a map is excellent at conveying an idea. Now, it is entirely plausible that there's going to be a site and it's like, okay, we've made a design and now We're going to bring in 15 people who are all going to work for six weeks until this design is complete. Now, that's a legit thing. But the thing is, is normally nobody ever does that. Instead, it'll always be evolutionary. You're going to make a design, and then you're going to move towards that design. But a week later, things have changed enough that that map will never work again. And that's great. Be prepared to throw the map out. Be prepared to make a new map at any time.
1: Well, in in holistic management, so in the holistic management side of things, what we do is um, we constantly talk about the fact that um, it's kind of like the old saying, you know, no plan survives contact with the enemy. And so. So what we always do and emphasize with holistic management is that the minute you make a decision, assume that you're wrong. And this is where we we all go wrong because we make a decision and we assume we're right but we don't really monitor we we don't decide okay if there's a wrong decision what are going to be the parameters what are going to be the things that we look like that are going to show us early on so that we can make a small course correction rather than a a huge one what are those going to be the first signs that this is not working whereas most people make decisions um, and then they assume they're right and of course get to what they think is their destination suddenly realize that oh shit okay that didn't work so um a lot of what we do i always emphasize assume you're wrong and that way you will very quickly um learn or realize if you're going off off course so that's, that's one response to that. I suppose the other is that um, the, map, the map is not the territory. The map is merely a visual, uh, a visual aid to convey things. Also, very often what the map does is that it will show you the physical constraints of what you're trying to do. So you know, a, a tree with a 40-foot-wide um, crown will not fit in you know in an eight foot space down the side of a house things like that 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 kind of jump out at you but yeah i, I get what you mean in that things are constantly changing um as the design, the design unfolds on site because remember it's not going to spring fully uh fully grown it's going to go through different stages and, and a lot of what we teach will actually be about that that so, in the interim it 's not like suddenly the, the the clouds part one day a, a golden ray of light shines down, and we 're there it 's not that it's it 's a case of we 're working constantly working towards a goal, and that goal is not something that you ever kind of truly achieve you 're always tweaking and fine tuning i mean if we if we accept that um, if we accept that, that good design can make our lives easier, then we've also got to accept that there's probably, um, a lot of ways that we can do that that haven't occurred to us that through observation of the site that we were continually tweaking so for us it's you know plan put the plan into action assume you're wrong and monitor and then replan and you just keep looping back through that process continually um, And remembering too, as I just said, these, these designs, there's going to be interims in the design where, okay, those trees aren't going to be grown out for however many years. So they're not going to shade that area for a long time. So, you know, we can grow vegetables there or whatever. So it's not like suddenly it's, it's there and it's established. It's like, yeah, so what are we going to eat in the interim if we're not planning things there simply because we've failed to realize that, hey, we can continue to grow stuff there because there's no tree, tree cover yet. This is a good time
0: to point out who our guest instructors are. And mm. so every PDC generally has a list of guest instructors. And so then these are people that are going to stop by for at least a day and, and we've asked that each of our guest instructors will be there for at least a day and a half. So that means you'll share meals with these people. And um, and then each of them is going to present at least three times. And they're going to teach at least one piece that is a formal part of the PDC. And then they're going to teach part during the PDC that is um, of influence to the PDC because that's allowed. And then they're going to give an evening presentation. And yep. so, um, I, th- I, th- I mean, this is, this is a star studded cast. Um, but, uh, at the top of the list is, uh, Thomas Elpol. He is the author of Botany in a Day, uh, which, you know, is, is the leading book for anybody doing herbalism. It's like the required read of part of every herbalism class. Um, and, uh, He's also written another book like that called Shanlaia's Quest, which, while it's kind of a kid's book, I found that reading Shanlaia's <laughs> Quest got more botanical stuff to stick in my head than botany in a day. Um, and it's short. It's really, it's really quite short. Uh, he's also got a book called Foraging the Mountain West, and then um, uh, a natural building book called Living Homes. And a big part of the work that he does day to day is on, uh, primitive skills. And so he's got a book called, uh, primitive living, self-sufficiency and survival skills. <laughs> he's also got a bunch of DVDs. He's, he's, he runs a school here in Montana, um, that's about, uh, uh, you know, primitive skills. Uh, um, so ancestral skills might be more like it. He's got a great DVD where it's like he and his daughter, go out into an area that doesn't, even, it's not even the woods, it's like uh, near a river, uh, there's a lot of uh, 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 brush and grasses there, and they have nothing, they don't even have a knife, and and the first thing they do is break a rock so that, you know, just the right way so they can have something that resembles a knife, and then um, they catch their food, they Prepare a shelter. They, you know, do all the things that you would need. Um, but anyway, Thomas Elpel, uh, you know, famous author, is going to be here. Uh, next up, Ernie and Erica Wisner. Uh, they're going to. They, they, of course, are the uh, the authors of the Rocket Mass Heater Builder's Guide, which is just selling like hotcakes. I think I heard that they're about to go into a fourth printing of the book. It's selling so well. Woohoo! Yeah, it's yeah, awesome. That's amazing. I mean, it's not it hasn't even been out half a year, I think, and they're already going into a fourth printing. Now um, they can afford to wait. <laughs> but they're going to be here for the entire PDC. And uh, so there's all the stuff that we all know about them and rocket mass heaters, but there's also an enormous amount of stuff about natural building. Oh, but wait, that's not all. Um, Ernie spent three years interning with Ionto Evans and there were there was at least one occasion which I la- I believe lasted five days where Bill Mollison and Masanobu Fukuoka were there with Ionto and they spent five days together exchanging information. And Ernie was the one that gave the tour of the property to uh Fukuoka and Mollison. Um so Ernie's got these... Um, uh, Interesting stories? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so, you know, from not only being with Yonto Evans, who's done phenomenal work in the world of permaculture, as well as natural building, and is the inventor of the rocket stove and the rocket mass heater. Um, and that Ernie, of course, has built more than 700 rocket mass heaters. There's also all this permaculture-based history and all the PDCs that he has attended and taught in the past. Um, and then, of course, he's a former boat captain. And so if you want to do knots, it seems like that would be a good evening presentation. It's like, okay, everybody, you're going to learn 10 knots today. <laughs> that, that would be a great one. And yeah. Erica used to be a science teacher. And, and so then and she's written another book before, um, a, a science book. And uh, and so Erica's got all this. Oh, and then Ernie also, Ernie and Erica both have all this experience with um, building boats. And in fact, try to get Ernie to not talk about building boats. <laughs> I'm sure, Tim, you have heard Ernie talk about building boats at least two dozen times.
1: Oh, a little bit.
0: <laughs> so... Um, uh, so there's Ernie and Erica and Thomas Elpool. So far, star-studded list. Oh, but wait, there's more. Helen Atow, goddess of the soil. I've got a bunch of podcasts with her, and people I've had, I don't know how many people tell me that they've listened to all of my podcasts, but they've listened to the ones with Helen Atow twice. Um, I once heard a guy tell me he's listened to all of my podcasts twice, and he's listened to the ones with Helen Atow four times. So whenever I so so she's clearly the superstar of my podcasts and um, so she's a soil scientist she's a market gardener for years she uh, was a cornerstone of the farmers market in Missoula and had a magnificent um, uh, a market garden, but uh, she's the one who taught me, uh, gave me my Master Gardener Certificate as well as my Advanced Master Gardener Certificate. She was an extension agent in Missoula County for 17 years, um, and uh, she also managed a 2,000-acre organic farm. So scaling it up, in a big, big way, and uh, she's, in the last uh, five, six years, she's moved into veganic permaculture because she's been a vegan all, all over her life, and um, uh, now she's doing a lot of stuff with food forests and orchards and the like, um, and so, also, she was an intern for Masanobu Fukuoka over in Japan for a while. And then when she came back to the States, she was an intern for, I think, a couple of years for a guy that was doing all of Fukoku's techniques, but in Georgia. So um, huge. I've got a bunch of videos with her and, of course, the podcast. Um, and, and she's written prolifically. She's uh, uh, authoring a new book. She's working on this new book that she's been working on for years, almost done. And we're currently talking to her about some other things that we're going to do in the future with her. But anyway, another, another massive superstar to be here. And, and I think she's talking about hanging out here for like five days. So people will be able to visit with her for several days.
1: One of the perks of teaching PDCs is, uh, co-teaching PDCs, is you get to uh, learn so much yourself from people with all these uh, mad skills.
0: Right, right. And and superstars in their own right. And and it's like uh, I just kind of feel like uh, all of these people so far are globally known and global authorities on their topics. And, and they're not just a, a regional leader. In fact, I'm going to now finish off the list with two more people, both of whom are globally known for what they contribute to the world and uh so the next one is Jacqueline Freeman now i've i've read a lot of books on beekeeping and i have participated in a lot of workshops on beekeeping and i've um uh, traveled a lot and seen a lot of places where they're keeping bees in conventional ways or organic ways. And, and there's some really amazing stuff I've seen, but Jacqueline is an order of magnitude beyond any of them. And what she does, I've referred to as reverence for bees. And I've got a lot of videos with her and I've, and I've got a podcast with her at her place where we talk about, I mean, she's, her home has got like levels of magic to it, um, and and they we talk about in the podcast how she shopped around for so long. She and her husband Joseph shopped around for so long to find a home, and after like a hundred and fifty homes, they decided on this one just because of the good energy of the home. Now we talked about purple versus not purple, and and I gotta say I'm I don't think I'm a very purple person. But when I was there, there is a very different feeling about what she's got going on there, about that house. And when I very first arrived there, then um, she said, okay, you can stay in one of these two rooms. One is heated and one is not and it's, you know, it was pretty cold. It's the winter time. And uh, why are you, you know, so why are you offering an unheated room to me? Well, it turns out she says, that's where there's about 200,000 ladybugs living in that wall right now and they're overwintering. And so you got to keep it cold for them. And so we're not going to turn the heat on in that room. Um, cool. and so I went in there and she pulls back this, um, fabric and there you can kind of see thousands of ladybugs just in that one point <laughs> puts it back and I'm like this is the room I'm staying in tonight I'm going gotta, gotta to sleep with the ladybugs and um, and then the other then you go into the hallway and she says put your hand on this wall here and it's winter time and it's like this this wall is really warm and it's an exterior wall and she says there's a colony of honeybees living in this wall and that's part of what we do and then the next thing is, is like, when I'm there in the summertime later, on a later visit, she opens up all the doors of the house at about 5 o'clock in the afternoon and then waits. And every evening, at like, like a little bit before dusk, so it's still light out, a bat flies in and flies through all the rooms and eats all the insects and then flies back out. <laughs> So, but, but her biggest thing of all the stuff is reverence for bees. And the first time I saw her, she's like, we're we're going to, you know, it's a class, it's a bee class that she's teaching. And she's like, okay, we're going to, we're going to look in on the hive. So she opens the hive up and you can see all the bees. And then she's going to go put the lid back on. But because she won't allow a single bee to be hurt, it took her like, 10 or 15 minutes until she could get that lid back on without hurting any bees. And she kept brushing them. And and the bees, you can tell there's, there's a relationship unlike anything I've ever seen between this woman and the bees and her new book, the song of increase is amazing. I'm almost done reading it. It's a completely different angle on Bees on honeybees. Um, and, and at first I thought that the title was terrible, but now that I understand the title, the title is amazing. And, um, it's, I, I recommend it strongly for everybody. Um, the last name on the list is somebody who we, we're, we're still working on. He might not be able to make it. He might. Um, and so it's not a sure thing yet. But, of course, Zach Weiss, not only an expert in his own right on um, having a full ecosystem inside of a greenhouse, but beyond that, um, uh, because he's built a bunch of greenhouses and built these ecosystems in a greenhouse – uh, but beyond that, he's become the leading Sepp Holzer expert in the United States, possibly, possibly anywhere in the world outside of Sepp Holzer himself. Uh, not only has he led like, I think six trips to Sepp Holzer's place, but he has facilitated Sepp Holzer at, uh, coming to the United States, I think, almost as many times. Um, so, so Zach Weiss is, is now working full time. He gets contracts all over the world to basically go and do Sepholzer techniques on properties all over the world. And so this is our lineup of guest instructors, which I think is—I um, mean, compare it to any PDC. I think that we have—we have the ultimate PDC um, uh, in the world. I, I can't—I mean, I know that. I mean, every PDC has guest instructors, but I kind of feel like with this lineup and and with uh, and you, um, I mean, it's possible that Jeff Lawton. I mean, like if Jeff Lawton is teaching a PDC that would be more star-studded because of course he's super famous for teaching PDCs but who's his lineup who's going to be his guest instructors I mean usually he he's like uh, uh, he just shows up for a few days for a PDC and that's that's it but um, I don't know I kind of feel like we're doing pretty amazingly awesome with this PDC and the people that are coming to it
1: I would, uh, I'd agree. I'd say that um, of that star-studded lineup, I am definitely the uh, the least star-studded of all. I think, so I'm I'm really excited just from from that prospect. Um, the selfish part of me is like, woohoo! I'm going to get to pick these people's brains, and of course. The the students, uh, will be able to do that. Lots of fireside chats and discussions because let's face it, with people that are that passionate about that sort of stuff, they never switch off. So they'll be, they'll be good for the information flow for the entire time they're there. I, I agree. I agree. It's, it's gonna be, and, and I think,
0: so we, we talked about how, um, uh Helen is going to be here for probably 5 or 6 days it sounds like i think uh Jacqueline uh might also be here for 5 or 6 days and i believe she'll have her husband with her um uh, Joseph and uh Joseph is kind of a, a one of those guys where he's a uh uh not exactly like like i i believe that he is uh like horse a horse whisperer is Uh, hopes to someday aspire to be like Joseph. And so he teaches a lot of stuff in this space of like communing with animals. And I know that, um, uh, for not only the, the cattle that they've had, but they'll, they'll go out and they'll sit for like seven hours a day with a, with an animal, like a cow on their property, um, for a week that this is part of the process. And I know that this is a, a lot of what Jacqueline has done with the bees where she probably has, I don't know, 300, 400 hours of just sitting out with the bees um, uh, in the warmer seasons. Uh, <coughs> so I think that's a, a, a core, a foundation of, of her new book. But So uh, I think Jacqueline and Joseph are going to be here for like five days as well. Um, So there's going to be, we're going to get a lot of opportunity to be able to visit with them at mealtimes as well as, you know, embrace their presentations. Now, when we started
1: this, you told me you had limited amount of time. Are you out of time? Um, probably shortly will be the, uh, because I live on an island and we're heading to the mainland to do some shopping, um, the barge waits for no man. So, um, I'm getting a little nervous, not too nervous, but, um, we've got a few more minutes if you want to talk for a little bit more or we can, uh, we can wrap it up and we can do something more later.
0: Um, I, I think that, well, how about this? How about if you take the time that we have left? Cause I've got a long list of more stuff to talk about, about this PDC. But how about if you take whatever time we have left and you, sir, ha- have a brand new book out. And so maybe you
1: can tell people about your book. Yay, the corny plug bit. Um, <laughs> I, I kind of, uh, I kind of struggle sometimes to call it a book because it's, it's very much an instruction manual taking people from, uh, basically Not having many uh, building skills and shows them how to build a low-cost, very efficient barrel oven. So it's, uh, I think it's called the rocket. How's this? I don't even know the name of my own book. (laughs) I think it's called the rocket-powered oven, um, it or, is. or the rocket-powered barrel oven, and um, basically it's uh, it's it's so that people can say I, I don't know a lot about this, but I'm really um, I'm really keen to give it a try, and I want an option um, compared to say the traditional cob or mass oven in the backyard. So. Uh there's a lot of work has gone into developing an oven that you can basically pretty much make with a pair of tin snips, a drill, an angle grinder, and um, not much more, because uh, that was one of the big things that I wanted to make it accessible to. Not everyone can, can operate, a, a, you know, a welder say but certainly most people can um, manage a drill or a pair of tin, tin snips or, or an angle grinder with due care and so by the end of going through these very specific instructions and that's why I struggle to call it a, a, a book or it's authoring it's more just um, technical writing I suppose you'd, you'd call it in that it's like you don't need to worry this is all you have to do. Measure this, but it also gives a fundamental understanding of, of what we're doing and, and why we're doing it. So that by the end of the project, that you know it might take um, a weekend with some friends, um, you've got an oven that can reach nearly a thousand degrees Fahrenheit. Um, is crazy efficient in in the amount of wood that it uses to uh, to perform the, ta- the the cooking tasks that it does. And it's also backed by the fact that, you know, I've probably been building these ovens for five years or more. And, you know, there's lots of ways you can do these ovens. And by the time I, I went through the book, I'd already worked out other ways or other methods that I want to try that will emphasize different sorts of cooking. But, um, yep, it's out there. It's available on – Paul, help me here.
0: Oh, well, we've got a listing out at Permis. Yep. Uh, and, and then on the PDC page that we have for this, there's a, a little picture of your book and if you click on it, you can find out how to buy it. Um, I know that uh, I'm looking up the, the information right now. We've sold 66 copies of the book. Um, yep. just through my stuff. And so we just have a thread and then we mentioned it one time on uh, the dailyish email. And it's been one of the biggest selling items that we've ever told people about. So yay, it's, it's, it's doing really good. And, and we've only, we only told people about it like, I don't know, was it a month and a half ago? It wasn't that long ago. So, um, it's, it's been a hot seller and it looks like the feedback on the thread about, uh, about your book. Has been really uh, strongly positive. So uh, a lot of people are very much enjoying it. Oh, here it is. Uh, I give the book nine point five out of ten pizzas. Um, and so that's Rob Griffin, who attended your uh, a uh, the PDC last year and attended your ADC last year. <coughs> so um, the, the, the book's doing really well. All right. Is that Are, are we going to call it good for now? Because you got to go and catch a barge, which I think we call a ferry.
1: Yeah. So, um, yep, I'm off shortly to go to the mainland. So um, I'll sign off for now. And I'm um, hoping to see everyone out at the PDC come this May. All right. If you like this sort of thing,
0: come on out to the forums at com, where we talk about PDCs, homesteading, and permaculture. Don't forget, go out to patreon.com slash Paul Wheaton and make a pledge for future artifacts.